Well, welcome to MetaMemes, the pilot for a brand new show. My co-host today is PDOT. Introduce yourself, PDOT. <laughs> Hello. Apparently I'm PDOT. Um, yeah, so typically we are mid-20s white guys in lockdown, so we've decided to start a podcast. Um, there's a million podcast shows out there, literally, at the minute, so we thought, why not one more? Um, my co-host today is Mimi. Um, he loves memes so much. That's his nickname. <laughs> That's, hence, hence the podcast today. Um, um, so what yeah, about what about your own nickname? Well, mine's kind of a private joke from this type. One time when we all lived in Australia, because you know, cultured and travelled and cool and all that. Um, and millennial. Just very millennial, yeah. We're hitting a lot of white guy tropes today, aren't we? We're going to try our best to. Yeah, certainly gonna try our best. Okay. So what's well, on the agenda let's... today, Mimi? I believe you put up an itinerary for us. Uh, well, I was gonna outline the general point of our podcast, which I think is a good place to commence. And I thought I would trawl the internet for the best um definition of meta, and I ended up at Wikipedia, which I think was an obvious ending. Okay. Um, and they kept, they came up with that meta is a prefix meaning more comprehensive or transcending. And I thought the word transcending was particularly applicable to memes in the common era. Because although we, we often laugh at joke and joke at the superficial element of memes, actually they often have an underlying deep meaning that translates to society. Um, and I think that's what I like most about memes is actually they can say things about society that you can't just say easily with words. Um, and so I think that's how, that's how we're going to get memes into current topics. Well, inherently, um, a meme was, uh, I remember the first time I actually ever, they no, I contradict that, the first oh, time I ever heard about, um, about a meme was actually before I went to uni, and my mate was a few years older than me at uni, um, he was at the ULB as well, um, and he kept going on about these things and sending me them online, and never actually heard the word out loud, and I was like, I remember asking him, is it pronounced meme? <laughs> or, or is it a meme <laughs> and he just laughed at me and called me an idiot but then actually a few years later I was reading The God Delusion Richard Dawkins and that's actually the first iteration of the word meme um, and the definition of that is just something that um, is a cultural transition so it sort of spreads throughout culture and society like a bacteria or a virus topically um, topical even um, so it kind of is by definition, what you are saying. Um, so it kind of is a nice conjoining and what, of what year, definition. What year, what year do we think that memes really came into modern culture? I'm kind of thinking around our university age is where it really took off. So that would be around 2012. Would you agree? But then I, I would agree for me and for you, but I think probably sooner in terms of like a generational gap isn't it so like for us we only started noticing when we came of age and we were but I also look back to it kind of it kind of coupled into social media's exponential growth and if you think to how your like your Facebook feed has changed over the years I think memes came into that massively around that kind of maybe if we said the start of the, the 2010s yeah I'd agree principle. with that I'd agree and I mean that one of the the aspects that made them so prevalent was the fact that it was just easier to transmit them and to share them because of the whole social media revolution. Whereas before that, they probably existed. In fact, they did exist because I've read 
I read a Vice article because, you know, hitting those white guy tropes again. I like VHS tapes or... Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, there was like videos on um, that were shared by email and stuff, but like um, pictures and there was like the, what's the dude, the green guy? What's he called? Quite famous. Um, the green guy. I'm going to Google this. Hold on. You do some filler while I Google this. Well, I was just thinking, I, I, I can't even recall what life was like before memes. It's kind of probably like the birth of electricity or the Industrial Revolution. <laughs> it, it's kind of a, a wide-facing Oh, God, I've got a quick fact for you here. Go on. The first ever meme was in 1921. <laughs> 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 well, you can't leave us on a hanger. What was it? So it was in a newspaper cartoon, sort of like a caricature type thing. And it was, I'm going to describe it to you. So it was a well-dressed man in a tuxedo on the left. Mm -hmm. And then <laughs> a slightly poorly drawn boy on the right. And the caption on the left is, how you think you look when a flashlight is taken? And on the right, <laughs> there was the poorly drawn bit dumb looking boy how you really look so it's just <laughs> it's like, that's like a um and who said our podcast was pointless you've already exactly. learned something new in the first 10 minutes how good exactly. is that what out um, of interest what newspaper was that um good question let me try and do some digging um i feel like jamie on the joe rogan podcast <laughs> um, place your bets at this point viewers all three of you <laughs> Three's a bit much, isn't it? <laughs> Katie's our um, hypothetical producer of this podcast. Um, however, yeah. how did you describe Katie before, Ben? It described her perfectly. She's extremely enthusiastic at the point of sale. However, when it comes to the down payment, you have a little bit of a difficulty. Yeah, she does shortchange you a lot. Um, in a good way, because <laughs> she's got a sunny disposition. Um, but the meme was called Expectations versus Reality, which is a, we all know is a, a common occurrence. A classic um, meme. And it was in the 1921 edition of the satirical magazine, The Judge, published by the University of Iowa. Are they still going out of interest? Oh, God, a lot of questions here. <laughs> Last one, I promise. Um, Other newspapers are available. Well, you're going to have to do some filler while I try and find the information here. We'll, so put us on to our come next. Back. We can come back to that if you want. Okay. Uh, all right. While you do that, I will explain what we'll be doing in our however frequent podcast, however often we can be bothered to do so. Uh, we'll focus on one meme per week that we'll pick out and then we'll discuss it and explain or delve into its wider meaning into current society and Hopefully we'll all learn something or learn some insight into other people's opinions instead of staying in our own echo chambers. That sounds good to me. I like my echo chamber. We, well, we all do. I think that's the underlying point, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I don't think the judge is still going, by the way. Well, that's disappointing. Oh, it ended in 1947. Oh, not a bad stint. Eight, they, 1881 to 1947. That's good. That's a good run. They would thrive today if they made a comeback. Absolutely. There's a lot of um, memeable <laughs> figures going on in the public world and <laughs> the public eye. Is is that in the Oxford Dictionary? Memeable? Well, it bloody should be. Shall I I'll Google that's it? That's a good know. answer. 
<laughs> Not another here. kook. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm, I'm going to swing us into our no, first ever choice of meme. Is it? Oh, that's just as good. So, our first meme, I will explain it to you because obviously you cannot see it, is the currently popular Scooby-Doo-based meme titled, Let's See Who's Really Behind, dot, dot, dot. And in this instance, given the current pandemic, it is COVID-19. Um, so it's a dual screen. Can you actually remember what the character's name is? Is it Fred, the blonde guy, who's revealing it in this instance? I think it might be Fred, actually. That's a good shout. I think it's Fred. That's good memory for me, if that's true. Yeah. Um, the one I've got... Um, has Zoom as the underlying cause of COVID-19. Um, well, you haven't, other... um, you haven't explained the actual um, pictography oh, so you've got, there. You've got them pulling so you've up a mask. The victim, or the, the culprit, who has a mask over him to cover his true identity, and once revealed, there is a picture of Zoom's icon over where the head would be. Um, other examples that I've seen widely out there um i don't know if you've seen any in particular matthew bill gates which admittedly uh, you yes. know it's a it's a bit of a laugh because that conspiracy is obviously bill gates has designed the coronavirus to then create a vaccine that will then chip us all and locate all our, have our locations on file forever yeah. but i think zoom is a funnier more accessible meme because it's yeah, more light-hearted it's more light-hearted, and we all need a bit of light-hearted chat in these times. Yeah, other ones I had seen on a more light-hearted nature was um, every other football team in the Premier League to stop Liverpool winning the league, which I thought was quite a good one <laughs> yeah. if, you're into, if you're into your football. And another one was like, I can't remember which brand of beer it was, but it was something along the lines of Budweiser, given the documented fall in sales of Corona due yeah, to the unfortunate unfortunate paralleling in the in the naming of the virus um so i think as we were going to mention what makes a good meme in this instance is perfectly highlighted in there the adaptability of it yeah absolutely um i mean because i've seen this iteration of the fred meme cover many different times and crises throughout the world or even not crises necessarily just occasions um so that goes to show that it is relatable and can be applied to many different situations and the baseline of the actual fred capturing a bad guy and taking off his his mask is firstly relatable for a lot of us generation would we be millennials i think um it's something I've Googled many times and I'm still unaware of what the definition of a millennial is, to be honest. It's, it's hard to gauge. Right, well, we complain a lot, so we're probably all millennials. Um, but Scooby-Doo was a very important character growing up for a lot of us, so the actual characters involved are valuable to us. And then they're applied to the, the current topic of society, which can obviously be different depending on the, the, the time period, which is you know, Absolutely. beautiful. So I think, as we've already mentioned there, there's a few links and wider meanings that we'll go into. Um, but actually, I wanted to start with the, with the blame, blame culture that I think we all have. Um, 
related to you know the general press and reporting of things and actually also human nature and the fact that we we find it easy to find an individual or a singular entity to blame when things go wrong just because it's easy for our brains to process and i think instances such as this or other scandals always seem to you know kind of hone us to blame on an individual when actually in reality most of the time there's a combinatory of factors and attachment of blame to multiple different entities in you know various percentages um which i think is one of the big issues with current society and trying to learn from problems i think coronavirus is no different you know people blaming be it china and then in the response to that blaming certain things and individuals as well um i'm not sure what your take on that would be pdot well it's just um it's just scapegoating it's a it's an age-old tactic that's been used in every single i'd say political campaign ever runs i mean even back at as far back as the nazis scapegoated on the jews we have the tory government at the minute um scapegoating on immigrants um and now due to the coronavirus we've got people hating on chinese culture or chinese people and you see reports of Asian people walking down the street and getting abused or spat out or told to go like told to go home, which is a very common one. Um, we're all familiar with, especially with Donald Trump. Mm. Um, even my mum, my mum is the loveliest person ever. Hasn't got a bad bone in her body. Never hates on anyone. Um, she was like, "Oh, I just blame, I blame China, I blame the Chinese," and it's this aspect of blame that gets attributed to, like you're saying, one sort of set of people or persons i suppose the worrying thing is it continues to be such an effective weapon when it comes to like you mentioned elections trump being a prime example the simplicity of the conservatives most recent election campaign as well um but it seems to link and people seem to relate to it so much that they continue to win um I don't know how you change that trend going forward because um, obviously it's not, it doesn't, it's kind of a, just one of the many forms of misinformation um, that affects outcomes. Um, it's hard not to mention Trump, isn't it, when you come into any such topics and I think his handling of coronavirus again is just a, one of the many prime examples of, of how he tries to deal with these, these issues um, in terms of deflection well, it's easier to blame it's easier to blame someone or something or some race of people or some type of people than it is to accept response accept your own responsibility and then try and work towards overcoming the problem and it's not just with trump and with the coronavirus it's with with everything with um inequality within society it's easier to blame it on the immigrants and blame it on in america the mexicans or blame it here on the on islam um, than it is to actually fix the deep-seated inequalities within society, which is obviously the root issue here. But then people need someone to blame. Like you're saying, it's in their psyche to want to have someone to blame or to to have someone responsible for it. And the easiest option is the the powerless minority in most cases. And I think lead, linking with power, the issue you've got now is that the misuse of power in some instances you could be you could deem as harmless or at worst just misinforming people but it doesn't impact on their health but in this instance 
you know, be it Trump saying about the use of detergent or basically <laughs> calling this whole, basically this cult, you know, calling the whole event a hoax has actually or undoubtedly will have cost people's lives in the fact that they will have followed his his opinion. Well, I think the problem with him is that he's been to injecting too much detergent in, a, in his childhood. I think his mother didn't breastfeed him. I think she <laughs> she fed him bleach. That's a whole other podcast, I think. No, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. I think linking into that, the next point I thought we could cover was the that whole principle of I've got conspiracy theories kind of written down, but I think it all kind of interlinks into that fake news that. I kind of hate to keep hearing, but also that kind of genuine lack of trust in information and transparency in the media and that general saturation of of information and basically finding it impossible to know what is a reliable source and what isn't anymore and how that's, well, that's kind one, of used. That's one of the great things about the memes at the minute. So, for example, the coronavirus um, pandemic that's going on, you can't really trust like say if it's say in the uk for example the gut the government briefings they have every day you can't trust anything they're saying because they just make things up you can't really trust the journalists they're not really holding them account anymore because every every sort of media outlet is biased in some way or another so the only sort of pure true art form that we have left which it can be indicative of the way people are feeling rather than the way they're being told they should feel by the mainstream media is the meme creators and i'd just like to use this moment to to ask you what you described the meme creators as before this podcast we had a little chat and i think it was you hit the nail on the head you know obviously meme meme makers meme creators don't have a face as such they're not celebrities in themselves i thought there was a a definite um similarity to someone like batman who is maybe not the hero you want but it's definitely the hero you need. Nobody knows who it actually is. They live behind the mask. I think it's pretty much spot on. I don't know if They've they have got a really deep not. voice. That's probably. not applicable. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the bomb? Yeah, they might also double up as phone jacker on a Saturday. Yeah, I don't know. yeah. they're all billionaire but, philanthropists. But without the creators, this podcast wouldn't exist. So. Certainly not. Please um, don't, don't. Please don't wish ill of the meme creators after this <laughs> don't, don't, hold, don't hold it against them. <laughs> it's not their fault. It's just collateral damage. Don't worry. I think we'll be the only people listening to this podcast, so I don't, don't think they're in any any danger. Oh, I would think so. Um, <laughs> conspiracy theories. Then I think we've got to talk about the five G based conspiracy theory, just because of the actual actions and arson and whatever else has gone on damage to mm. property relating to 5g um i think it's just a prime example of how something that well i think it's fair to call it ridiculous has actually spread to become it mainstream to the point that it actually has been had to be covered in national and global news outlets which is quite frightening well, so the thing is and I hate to play devil's advocate with something so stupid, but I'm just going to... You love to um, play devil's advocate. <laughs> Got to add some texture to this podcast, Mimi. <clears throat> oh, um, so, the, so the good thing, well, the effective thing about conspiracy theories is that there is always a nugget or a grain of truth in there 
that then can be extrapolated upon that then becomes believable and it's believable because of that nugget of truth. So for example, um, one of my favorite conspiracy theories is that um, the pyramids of Giza were built by um, aliens. Now, there's a couple of little nuggets in there that if you actually dig deep, well not even, no, if you scratch the surface, there's a couple of tempting little nuggets there that is, for example, they line up with Orion's belt in the stars and also the latitude of the pyramids identically matches up with the speed of light. However, obviously that's only one um, vector. It doesn't include the longitude. So it's actually like if you dig a little bit deeper, it's bullshit, obviously, that it wasn't done by humans. However, the superficial stuff is what grabs you and then what gives the conspiracy theory traction. With the 5G thing, I'll oh, go on, you go. go on. I was just going to say my what this brings to mind to me again is a natural uh, human um, failure or I don't know if you call it a, a defense mechanism in whereby your brain has a great ability to pick out the facts that suits your theory yeah. instead of picking a theory that suits all the facts. And that, that's a phrase that actually I have to give reference to the first Sherlock Holmes film with Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Jude Law, because that's what Sherlock Holmes says. Um, facts to suit theories, not theories to suit facts, um, which I think yeah, we point. all do to a greater or lesser degree. And in this sense, like you said, people probably latch on to one or two details that could indicate that their theory is true, but they disregard all other pieces of information that go against that. Well, it's just confirmation bias, isn't it? Uh, it's like Googling um, exactly. your symptoms you for something. You, want, you can, yeah, you can always find the answer you want by Googling the right thing. It's the same thing with conspiracy theories. They have these little bits of truth that then back it up and give it, give it the traction that it shouldn't have. Yeah. But then equally, the problem is that the media at the minute, as we were saying before, is so distrusted and so like vehemently hated that that they don't they're not believed so that when someone comes along with an alternative that's slightly believable given these grains of truth then it's easy to go down that route because you know that one of them is like oh they're lying to us they're bullshit especially with the whole in the u.s with trump and his fake news um mission i think we have to also accept that given trump's apparent um ratings and approval and the fact that he is in office, that a large slash majority of people seem to be falling for this, that we are actually yeah. could be in the minority in our opinion. Obviously, we've probably got a self-righteousness to think that we are correct, which I think we are. Um, <laughs> but anyway, the, I <laughs> think the fact is circle. that so many, so many people actually believe this stuff, um, not necessarily conspiracy theories, but, you know, believe what Trump says or be it what the government in the UK say without ever questioning it or actually thinking that anyone who does question it is, you know, unpatriotic. And when you start using that kind of terminology that feeds into Brexit, it's all a little bit worrying about um, how it gets twisted and it seems to be getting worse. Yeah, definitely. There is a sort of, especially in this country. I'm, I'm imagining in the US as well because I've been watching videos occasionally on Facebook where they pop up and it's just, I mean, back to the coronavirus, it's just these 
idiots, thousands of them protesting in their states, like, we want to work, send us back to work, open the states, open the economy. And it's these idiots that I think partake in the nationalistic divide that is also present, like you're saying, in our country with the whole Brexit thing. And if you don't believe the media and if you don't believe the government, then you're, yeah, like saying, somewhat unpatriotic and you, you, hate, you hate England and you don't celebrate St. George's Day. Even though the people who celebrate St. George's Day are racists, but it's it's a dangerous demonising, isn't it? It is because it's it's well, it polarises as well. Then you've got no other ground. It's these two extremes, yeah. and that's it. Um, and that breeds. I think that also. Oh God. That well, I'm saying that breeds room for the conspiracy theories because that firstly gives people doubt, but secondly gives some pe- people something they want to they want to believe and they want to they want to endorse it's kind of like a religion almost it's like religions obviously on the down nowadays cults i would say yeah like a cult yeah exactly perfect like scientology great example yeah um and i think it kind of replaces religion for a lot of people this fact that it's like a rebellious part of a rebellious club against the man and against the government etc I think on a slight tangent there, religion, I think we always attribute the definition of religion to be it Christianity or when I read, uh, you know, the Sapiens book by Yuval, I forget his surname. Um, he talks about religion in the modern era being, for example, humanism, which is most of our instinctive beliefs that human life, you know, is, is valued higher than any other forms of life on the planet and as such we have the right to do what we want you know with be it fishing meat dairy industry building environments global warming etc it's it's that assumption that we have the right to do that at the cost of other animals mammals you know all creatures is detriment um and that that is a form of religion when you think of what a general meaning of religion is which i just thought was quite an interesting concept i hadn't thought of before i read that book but as well didn't they say in that book um that the human brain is predisposed to believe in religion or a god or some almighty power i know we're certainly predisposed to see patterns within things um i think it, pretty- it was I don't know if it was a predisposition, but it, it explained that whole increase in human civilization from just being small tribes. Religion was pivotal in bringing civilizations together because it gave them a common meaning and a common belief that allowed them to trust each other without knowing them. And obviously, if you think of populations today, we don't know the vast majority of the people that live around us, but now we have general principles and ways of living and societal norms that create a social cohesion which back in days where you know people were a lot more isolated probably created a lot more um tensions between different tribes or whatever that came together and as such religion actually in particular christianity in europe was what brought eventually what is now countries together by a common meaning and a common trust very interesting yeah but it's also very applicable to conspiracy theories and and even cults because cults i suppose are just an extreme version of it just a group uh, belief isn't theory. It? Yeah. it's just a group belief yeah and then you've obviously got people like uh, alex jones or david ike who are perpetuating it by their platform obviously 
some of them don't have platforms at the minute. But because of yeah. the whole social media, because of memes, because of our interconnectedness, then it is a it's got more legs. And I doubt that as many people would believe the five G conspiracy if it wasn't for social media. Yeah, very true. I think that also leads into I think we mentioned the term echo chamber earlier, whereby all the algorithms that run your be it your Facebook, your Instagram, your Twitter, it's all linked into giving you more of the same information and outlets that they know that you like. And so therefore you build this echo chamber whereby, you know, if you shout out your opinion on something, it's gonna get echoed back to you in the form of the websites or pages that you like and agree with you and it builds a false perception that what you believe is what everyone else believes and that's what's contributing to this polarization of something on netflix barack obama an interview i can't remember who the interviewee interviewer was but he he said it very eloquently about how you know this polarization in politics and in wider discussions has become so much worse due to due to that and many other reasons but it's it's why people are more at the ends of the scale and just have inability to to even listen to or hear a different opinion without getting angry or upset about it absolutely it's why it's because there's that um aspect of disappointment so like i mean for me all of my friends and facebook and twitter and stuff who i saw their posts let's take it back to brexit was pretty seemed like it was dead set brexit was not going to happen and then even back to this recent election it was seemed like the tories were not going to get into power and it's this aspect of disappointment yeah to us exactly for me in my echo chamber and with all my in my circles who are all similar minded people in my circle it was pretty much dead set going to happen that brexit wasn't happening that boris johnson wasn't going to win the election but then those two things did happen and i can see that being very polarizing because of the disappointment involved. I mean, I'm obviously I was I'm not the kind of person to be very radical about it, but there are a lot of people who, especially I'd say in America, who are, and that makes a big difference. Yeah. Um, well, we've covered quite a lot of wide ranging but also linked principles in that, like in any good history-based GCSE exam, I think we should bring it back to the original point (laughs) (laughs) or the original meme, which was, uh, let's see who's really behind COVID-19. I don't know if you have any finishing comments you'd like to add at this point, PDOT. Well, I must say that, well, if it's true that the virus was, we've not actually mentioned it, but if it's true that the virus was, um, created in a factory in Wuhan, then I would not be surprised if Zoom were one of the main benefactors because they made a shit ton of money and I was, <laughs> and they've done remarkably well. Well we're using them right now. We are using what, them right now. What and bigger actually, praise what bigger praise could we give? Exactly, them? but I do begrudge them for it. I do one thing I do hate about this whole one of the worst things for me about this whole quarantine lockdown situation is the group zoom calls i think they're very just awkward and stale oh yeah that's not great but what are your thoughts and what are your final closing thoughts well i think the the take home from it all i think is firstly obviously don't read don't believe everything that you read um 
I think we're very fortunate. I just think back to my university days from a medical base degree that we actually got taught whole modules on how you analyze information or research. And actually that is such an important tool in the modern world. Doesn't matter what it's about, you know, it's anything that you're looking into or reading. It's the ability to understand that, okay, is this source reliable? Who's it from? Do they have a leaning bias to one side or the other? What other piece of it, what other resources could I use to get a different opinion on that? So you can give a weighting to things that you read. And I think all too often as a general population, we're too quick to make assumptions on that one way or the other, whether we believe it or immediately disbelieve it without having an open mind um, linking into our echo chambers. I think one thing I tried to do on Twitter was to start following people that I know I dislike and disagree with to at least try and get a bit more of a, a wider perspective on things. Even if it does annoy me when I see them pop up, I think it's still important to try and get that. And I think if you can maybe start to actively input that as something you do in daily life it might broaden your perspective a bit and if we can do those populations then we might become a bit less polarized because otherwise it can only keep seeing it getting worse and what do you think do you think um do you think memes make the polarization worse or do you think they help make it better well that's a good point because the only other thing i can think of i listened to a podcast by uh, malcolm gladwell and he was oh, talking i love malcolm to- gladwell he was talking to um, the satiric. Would you say satiricist? Somebody who writes satire. Satiricist. It, it was from an eighty sketch show that my dad remembers, but I've never seen. But it was from um, Harry and Paul. So is it Paul Whitehouse and I forget their names? Harry They're Enfield. Is it? Harry Enfield. That's it. And he was talking about how the satire in the eighties actually increased polarization because it was looked at in terms of the satire from the perspective of the listener or the, or the watcher. And Listen so actually, this podcast actually as you, well. think, you think satire only pushes you to one direction, but actually it's how you interpret it, which is a really interesting point. Cause I think on the face of it, you'd think our oh, satire is obviously leaning towards you seeing the sarcastic element from one opinion when actually it does the opposite. And I think linking that back into memes, I think they can actually have a similar effect in the fact that they will be interpreted by how you read them, um, depending on the meme, obviously. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's this whole, there's a whole, um, oh, I forget which way around it is actually, but there's this whole thing in America where it's like, I think, is it, is it the left? The left just can't meme. And there's the liberals, they're all just like, they're the ones who people call snowflakes and they're the ones who just can't meme because they've got, because they can't make a joke without anyone getting offended. Whereas like right wingers tend to be able to have I don't know I don't know this is in America I'm just it's one thing I've seen in it that I felt might be relevant but, oh, but they're certainly um, a good case study at the moment. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, um, and I think as well on my Facebook I think there's a couple of people who are very right wing and they do post more memes I would say than my I'd, friends. I'd argue that they're very basic bitch memes as well. <laughs> Well, a lot of them are about guns. A lot, I don't know. A lot of them are about guns. A lot of them are anti Greta Thunberg, um, and all this sort of stuff. Very like that would that would be right wing shite. Another topic for another time. Not even sure it's related to this podcast. Would be the demonization of women who speak out. 
as a general principle, be it um, be it Greta Thunberg, that was a good example, be it um, Prince Harry's wife, Meghan Markle. Oh, she's um, hated, yeah. Uh, but I just think there is a definite correlation between an outspoken woman who ends up getting demonised, be it for her appearance or because she's too aggressive or basically uh, characteristics that in a man would be perfectly acceptable. Well, it's, like, Serena, it's... like Serena Williams in the tennis, she got demonised, I think, quite heavily for her aggressive nature on court. And it, you know, it's, it's kind of not necessarily written as such. But there's an underlining meaning when there was, I think people were generally saying, you know, it's unladylike. And it's like, well, hang on a minute. Yeah. That's not well, really, it's, it's not really it's fair perfectly, anymore, is it, to say things like that? It's perfectly encapsulated with Boris Johnson at the minute. He's just had another kid with like, I don't know, his 20th wife or whatever. And he's got like 10 different kids with 10 different women. And the newspapers are all Take positive. That, all... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the newspapers are all really positive towards him. They're all praising him. They're all saying congratulations, Boris. But just imagine if that was a woman prime minister in that situation. There'd be absolutely slating at no end. Yeah, because he left his wife of 25 years with children, of which I don't know what age. But you're right, I didn't even know that until about a week ago. But if that was the other way around in terms of gender, I, I completely agree it would have been made a much bigger deal of. Yeah, well, it's like when Theresa May was Prime Minister, every comment was about what she was wearing and how she was holding herself. Yeah. It's, and it's when, remember when she held hands with Trump and stuff like that? Yeah. Well, this is probably another topic for another day. Um, we don't want to rinse out all our material. <laughs> well, let's wrap it up there then. Thank you for joining yeah, right me today, well, It's been a pleasure, as always. Um, Never a chore. Never sure. I'm going to stop recording in a minute and then we can do a debrief, but yeah. Tune in next week. We'll have to pick out another meme, a topical yeah. one. Um, tune in. We'll try, and, we'll try and not make it coronavirus related, but it's going to be very difficult to do so. But we'll, we'll try yeah. our best. We'll endeavour to do we'll that. Get, we'll get Mimi to create his own meme. Live <laughs> up to the hype. Live up to the name. <laughs> oh, I think I'm, I'm not a Batman. No, fair enough. Right, mate. We'll speak to you soon. Ciao, ciao. Yeah.